everyone, this is Krista Brown. Welcome to the Choice to Be Happy podcast. Real people, real stories. Our guest today is the wonderful Celeste Bernardo, superintendent of the Lowell National Historical Park. Welcome, Celeste. Hi, Krista. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. I'm so glad to have you. I worked for the Songus Industrial History Center as a museum teacher, and it really was one of my favorite jobs ever. <laughs> and I'm so glad that you're here today. I'm going to read your bio for everyone, if that's okay. Celeste began her career with the National Park Service in 1986, traveling around the country, working at parks in New York, California, and Pennsylvania before ending up in Massachusetts. She is the superintendent at Lowell National Historical Park. She holds a BA in Recreation and Leisure Studies and an MA in American History from Northeastern University. So Celeste, let's just jump right in. Can you tell me a little bit about what your childhood was like? Sure, Krista. I, um, I grew up on Long Island, New York, in a, uh, a working class neighborhood, working class family. Um, I had two wonderful parents and uh, they had... They had an interesting life, you know, when you, as you're an adult and if you become a parent, you start to reflect on your own parents and, and what they were able to accomplish. So my father was, uh, he was born in the States, but his mother died when he was three. And so he was sent back to Portugal to be raised by his grandmother. And then my mother grew up on Long Island, but she was from a Portuguese family. Um, her grandparents were actually down in, um, Westport, what's now Westport, where they had a farm. So my father was a landscaper and my mother kept the books for his business. And there were three of us. I was the youngest. I was the baby. And uh, <laughs> by seven and nine years, I have an older sister and an older brother. So I had a pretty fun childhood growing up, but my parents were very strict. My mother would be upset if she heard me say that now. And uh, my mother, actually, she was sort of the bargainer with my dad. My dad was very, very traditional. And uh, so pretty, pretty strict overall. But I, I had a good life, I have to say, as a child. What were some of the dreams that your family had for you when you were a kid? Did they want you to be doing what you're doing now? Well, <laughs> um, you know, to a Portuguese family, Portuguese American family, uh, you know, Park ranger doesn't usually come up at the top, you know, to give you a sense, you know, my brother became a lawyer, uh, my sister became an accountant, and uh, I just had this idea from a friend of mine, actually, when I was younger, I wanted to be an actress, and when I was in high school, I started to realize that it could be pretty tough, because, you know, you, you get a lot of rejections, and, and not that I was getting rejections, of course, but when you... Um, you're, you're trying out for different shows. And I started to think it was going to be tough. I'm five feet tall, you know, leading men at that time were taller. And, uh, and so I said to my friend, I'm just not sure what I'm going to do. And she said, well, you know, we've been Girl Scouts together for 11 years, Celeste. We love camping. You know, we'd go to these little camps in Long Island. And, uh, and she said, why don't you become a park ranger? Because they're kind of performers. You know, mm. you can do tours and lead programs. You could live in the woods all year <laughs> round. And, and I was like, that's awesome. And that was it. I came home, you know, and I told my parents. And my father was like, what is wrong with her? <laughs> you know, I could just see his, his eyes. And, and I think I was probably, it was my first superintendency when he, he finally stopped saying, she's a teacher. Uh, 
because he always wanted me to be a teacher. He could never say I worked for the Park Service. Mm. But um, he finally realized when I became a superintendent that, you know, this all works out great, and, and it's been a great career. Once you made that decision to pursue a career in the Park Service, what did you do first? Well, it was kind of crazy. I had, believe it or not, when I was, my mother was like the greatest advocate for me. Mm. So she would, I would come home with these ideas and she would always say, I'll talk to your father. Mm. Like I never was allowed to try to make any, you know, she'd be like, I'll talk to your father. <laughs> and then the next day she'd come back and she'd say, okay, you know, we're going to do it. So she was tremendous in, in pushing me. And uh, I always loved horses when I was a kid, but we couldn't afford, you know, horseback riding mm. lessons, really. And, and so my mother saved up money. She got a job after, um, finally, she wanted to have a job. My father didn't want her to get a job. She was not to work. And that was their first fight. Wow. She basically said, I am going out and I'm getting a job. And she got a job working uh, as sort of an accountant for the Great Neck School District. So she did great, and um, so she put little money aside, and she bought me horseback riding lessons. Wow. So then, Girl Scouts, they had this horse packing trip for two weeks in Wyoming when I was 15, and my mother said, I'll talk to your father. <laughs> put me on a plane, shipped me out to Wyoming. Wow. It was like I had walked on the moon. <laughs> I mean, I had never experienced anything in the world like that, and when I came back, that was one of the formative things for me in terms mm. of the park service. Um, and that was what I was going to do. That was it. I was sold after that. I was going to go west. <laughs> I was going to live in the wilderness and uh, make a career of living in the back country. <laughs> and that's why I'm here in Lowell today. Wow. No. <laughs> I found out pretty quickly uh, in the park service once I got into the park service that uh, being from New York, I am really a city gal. Mm. And so, you know, I had one job at a lighthouse that was about an hour and a half from the movie theater. It was 45 minutes from the grocery store. And after that, it was urban parks for me. Mm. After that, it was awesome. What was the first urban park that you were able to work at? Uh, my first urban park was Independence National Historical Park in Philadelphia. So uh, the Liberty Bell, it's where the... Declaration of Independence was signed wow. and where the United States Constitution was written. And I got to give tours in Independence Hall, which was really phenomenal. Um, and Philadelphia was a great city. So uh, I had a great time there. I worked there for about a year and then headed west to San Francisco and worked at San Francisco Maritime National Historical Park out there. Another great city. Um, not quite as great as Lowell, but, you know, <laughs> running, running a close second. Can you tell me a little bit about your experience at the Boston National Historical Park? Yeah, so Boston, I spent um, probably most of my career at Boston National Historical Park in a bunch of different roles. Um, I ended up eventually being the deputy superintendent there and uh, was wonderful in that role because I not only got to work at Boston National Historical Park, but also Boston African American National Historic Site. So you have the Freedom Trail, and then you have the Black Heritage Trail, mm. two incredible stories of the 18th century and the 19th century. Um, it is a, a, an amazing place where people come from all over the world, um, and great, a lot of different communities and different places surrounding the park. So uh, it's a pretty special place in Boston. But you know, Boston is so big. Mm. Um, it's, it's, 
I, having worked before that in New Bedford as the deputy superintendent, I really loved being in a city the size of like New Bedford or the size of Lowell. Mm. And I had worked in Lowell in the early 90s and decided that I wanted to come back as superintendent because I remembered it was really a very special park and city with this really amazing energy that mm. was here. And so uh, it's been wonderful to kind of come full circle and come back to Lowell. Yeah. Um, do you remember when you, when you came back to Lowell to work here? I came six years ago. Wow. Um, yeah, I came back as the superintendent six years this month. So um, it's been a fabulous time. And I, there are so many things that we still have to do in Lowell. And so I'm just looking forward to, to staying. I am done moving around. <laughs> I am done. And uh, just where I want to be. So this is a great place. And um, what do you think made Lowell the place, first, where you want to work, but also um, do, you, do you live here in Lowell? So this is funny. So in the in the 90s, okay, I was living in San Francisco, and I had heard about Lowell mm. National Historical Park. Uh, they had just opened the Boot Mills Museum, wow. and they had this phenomenal partnership with the University of Massachusetts, uh, then Graduate School of Education, now College of Education, at the Songus Industrial History Center. And this was one of the premier education centers in the National Park Service. And being in San Francisco... I just wanted to come to Lowell. That was it. And so I kept applying, I kept applying, <laughs> I kept applying, and eventually was hired to be the supervisor here in Lowell. Um, I met my husband while I was living in Lowell, oh, though wow. not in Lowell. And he lived down in Sharon, Massachusetts. And the commute was pretty long at that time. So I uh, moved down to Boston, and that's when I started working in Boston. But I never forgot Lowell. Mm. I never, I was living in Lowell. I was living up on Christian Hill. I would walk to work. Yes. I absolutely loved it. The hard part though, when you're married <laughs> and you have a husband who doesn't want to leave the town that he grew up in, um, it's kind of hard. So I was back on the commute for, for uh, about four years. And finally, I convinced him uh, that we needed to buy a place in Lowell. Mm. So I have a roommate, but uh, <laughs> helps pay the rent. But um, I definitely uh, love having a place here in Lowell. And I'm here several days a week now, or nights a week, I should say. And it's made my life a lot easier. And also I get to go to all the wonderful things going on in the evenings, which is yeah. awesome in Lowell. There's always something happening. So Celeste, through all of your years of experience in the park service, have you ever encountered any challenges that you've had to overcome that you can share with us? So I think anyone who works uh, for a long time, you know, there are always going to be challenges. Um, there are going to be situations that are uh, going to be difficult. And there have been times when I've had bosses that I've worked for that have been phenomenal. Absolutely wonderful visionaries, leaders, people that you look up to and you aspire to. And then there have been bosses that you kind of wonder, how did they get there? <laughs> how did this happen? You know, I mean, I think a lot of times people, you know, in, 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 it can be promoted because they're good at what they do as a technical person, but mm. then when they become a supervisor, they are not the right person. Mm. So I, 
it kind of strikes a chord with me because I have friends who encounter this, you know, they have somebody that they work for and there's, it's a real struggle and it's a challenge. Should I stay with the job? I love the job, but I can't stand the boss. And how do I? So, I mean, I think the thing that I always try to focus on is, you know, what am I learning in this moment? Mm. You know, what am I learning from this person? I might be learning what I will never do (laughs) or what I will do Mm. to be better. And I think that was one of the things that kind of pushed me to always want to move up. You know, I I wanted to have an experience where I could sort of be that other boss as Mm. much as possible. And that's what I aspire to. It's not perfect every day, you know, but just trying to be um, the best person for your your staff and your employees. I'm glad you say that because I think my younger self really believed that any job I had, it would just be magical and perfect and we'd all get along and people would be open to getting feedback and you could ask as many questions as you wanted. And I think it's almost equally as important to find out what you don't want and what kind of leader you don't want to be. And um, I don't think that learning ever stops, really. It kind of follows you. It should never stop. I mean, it can't stop. Even, you know, now as a superintendent, my staff, like, roll their eyes back when I come in. And I'm like, oh, I just read this article. Oh, there's this really good book. Or, hey, we really need to try this new leadership thing, you know. And they're like, oh, here she goes again. But just always trying. And I think it's hard for, you know, I know, like, for me, I was raised, you know, you respect authority and you listen to the people that are, you know, adults and that give you direction. And, you know, I look at my own daughter and she's. You know, while she's respectful, she's much more, I think, willing to speak out mm. and, and ask questions and try. You know, the trick is trying to help her get there without, you know, losing your job. You know, how can you how can you manage up? How can you manage your boss and get what you what you need, you know, while still, you know, staying in your job? Mm. And um, so there's a lot of learning, like you're saying, always going on. And I, I don't think that should ever stop no matter where you are in the organization. And segueing to where you are now, this is the job you wanted as a kid. This is where you want to be, doing what you want to do. How does that feel? And also, what is the work like? What's a day in the life of Celeste here? So it's, you know, I, it's a gift. It's a gift to have this job. Mm-hmm. Um, I think every day... When I am coming in, how lucky I am to be the superintendent at Lowell National Historical Park. And I'm not just saying that. Um, I'm living that because I know what it's like to be uh, in, in a park that is struggling. I know what it's like to be in some parks, you know, where the staff may not be as committed. This park is unbelievable mm. in terms of people, the commitment, and the community. We're like in the perfect environment here in Lowell. Um, My job day to day is, you know, our broader mission is to uh, interpret the stories and preserve the structures associated with the Industrial Revolution in Lowell and its legacy. Mm. And that legacy piece is a big part of my job, which I love. So on the one hand, I spend a lot of time in meetings, and uh, as do many of us who work in government or big organizations, but it's really that commitment to, you know, how are we preserving the, the integrity, the downtown, these beautiful historic buildings that sort of form this authentic, beautiful backdrop that people come from all over the world, and they walk in and they're like, wow, this is such a beautiful place. 
Um, but it's also about the people who live in Lowell mm. and not only past but present. You know, we not we don't just talk about industrialization. We talk about the legacy and, and what does it mean today to be in Lowell, a post-industrial city that's revitalizing itself, that's creating a vibrancy, that still has its challenges, that people are stepping up every day to try to make it a better city and a better place. And artists who live here who are trying to recreate things and be creative in the city. And there's just, there's so much going on here that we as a park are involved in all, all of that. Mm. Our mission was really to be a catalyst to, to revitalize the economic and social environments of the city through historic preservation and cultural heritage. So, mm. you know, that's why we're involved with things like the folk festival and yeah. the summer music series and all of these different things that um, we, we support as well as our education and our tours. Um, so my job is to just try to help people in the park, uh, make it easier out in the community, make connections, um, help support different organizations. And I spend a lot of time in and out of the park to do that. So here in Lowell, I think we're really fortunate to have the history seem so accessible and the stories. And sometimes you're just, you're walking around and you'll see a sign or you'll see a museum right there and the boarding house is right there. And it's, it's, it's really incredible to think about. And I wonder, are all parks like that? Like where did historical parks, where did they come from? Why do we, why do we have them? So, I mean, going back historically, you know, there were, there were historical parks, but the, a lot of them were battlefields at the time. That was sort of, you know, in the 19th century, they were preserving Gettysburg and mm. Revolutionary War battlefields and the military actually played a large role in preserving these sites. And then you had these beautiful, magnificent wilderness areas like Yellowstone and Yosemite mm. that were being managed by other federal agencies. And so in 1916, they kind of figured out that they needed to sort of group everything and have a central organization, the National Park Service, that would be over all of this. There were historical areas that were important nationally and there were natural areas. And that's how we end up with the National Park Service. And we end up with historical sites like Independence Hall and the Statue of Liberty and Lowell. But Lowell was so cool because, <laughs> you know, Lowell, 1978 is sort of this revolutionary time in history. It's women's history and labor history and have a national park that is celebrating those sorts of things, mm. as well as playing a role in revitalizing a city was really unique for the time. And I love Lowell because like you were pointing out, you know, you don't know what's around the corner. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, not to compare us to Rome, okay? But I'm just saying, when I was in Rome the first time, I was like, around every corner, there was like this surprise. And it's like, Lowell, you turn around the corner. Whoa, boarding house park. You know, you go around another corner and look at that fabulous uh, historic building over there. You turn, wow, what's this canal system? And look at, look at those fabulous, wow, there's a boat coming down the canal. You know, it's just so many things happening. And, um, uh, when the park was established, they really wanted young people in Lowell because the city was very economically depressed. They wanted people to really value their history and be mm. proud of where they're from. And I think that, you know, I think in a lot of ways we've achieved that, that people have a sense of place. They mm. know something important happened here. They've been to the Songus Industrial yes. History Center four <laughs> times before high school, you know. Um, so we feel good about our role in helping people uh, appreciate that history. Mm. So when you're not working slash changing the world, 
What do you do for fun? I, I'm a little sad because when you first were going to ask me this question, I was like, oh, my goodness, what do I do for fun? <laughs> so, you know, when you're in a position um, that has a lot of responsibility, mm. this is my word of advice, Krista, <laughs> as you move up in the world, um, you really need to make time for fun. Because for me, my job is fun. Mm. Like, work is fun. And now that my daughter's off of college, you know, work is fun. So I have all these things I do at work. But I have to make a point to have fun in other ways. Like, mm. at home, yeah. with my husband. Yeah. I have to figure out, you know, let's go. I snowboard, you know, and he skis, you know. So we have to do that in the wintertime. Mm. And then in the summertime... Um, I, you know, I, I sing in my church choir oh, wow. and, and, you know, I'm involved in that and I love music. So mm -hmm. I, I play some instruments and I sing and, and so I, I try to, I have to make time to do that. But if you don't, um, work will become your whole life. Mm. And it's great if you love your work, you know, that's important. So I, I'm not going to knock it because some people, their whole life is their work. Yeah. But it's hard if your whole life is your work and work doesn't work out. Mm. You want to have a balance. Yeah. You know, you want to have, there's no such thing as a total 50-50, I'm just going to say. <laughs> You're always going to work more in some ways, mm. you know. Uh, but you want to make sure that you have fun mm. in both arenas. Speaking of fun, I think one of the things that Lowell National Historical Park and Lowell in general is known for is the folk fest that happens Every year. 32 years this year. Woo crazy. <laughs> so can you share with me a little bit about why we have the Folk Fest here, why it's, it's so famous, and then remind me of a question about an umbrella that I will ask you. <laughs> so um, back in the 80s, uh, there was a, a, a push to how do we change the reputation of Lowell? You know, a lot of people outside of Lowell thought that Lowell was a very depressed place. There were great things happening in Lowell, but no one ever thought of Lowell when they thought of that. Mm. Um, that was one thing that was going on. The other was that the park has a special charge in the legislation that we are to interpret the cultural heritage of those communities in Lowell. So there were a lot of festivals that were going on, ethnic festivals that even continue today. Mm. And there was the thought that at the time there was a national folk festival, and it still exists today, that the National Council for Traditional Arts is a nonprofit organization in Washington, D.C. They pick a city every three years to host the national folk festival. And then they come into that city, they help that city raise money, they teach them how to put on a huge traditional music Festival. So these are people who had grown up in the tradition, learning music from their relatives or their community members, and this music has been passed down for generations. Mm. They know the greatest performers nationally and internationally, and the National Council books those performers for the National Festival. They bring them all in. So Lowell lobbied the superintendent at the time, Sandy Walter. She's infamous. She and others, the city, the Lola Regatta Festival Association got together, go to D.C., and they meet with the executive director, Joe Wilson, 
who was also notorious, and they pick Lowell. Wow. So Lowell hosts the National Folk Festival for three years, and then the city is on its own to put that festival on. So the National Park and the city and the Lowell Festival Foundation worked with community members to put on the Lowell Folk Festival. Today, we also have the Greater Merrimack Valley Convention and Visitors Bureau and the Greater Lowell Chamber of Commerce that work with us as well. And together, the six producing partners and hundreds and hundreds <laughs> of volunteers put on the Lowell Folk Festival. Uh, the Massachusetts Cultural Commission mm -hmm. loans us the state folklorist, and we hire another folklorist, and they do the whole traditional craft area out on Lucy Larkin Park, bringing in traditional artists from all around. Wow. And the greatest thing that people love which comes in second to the music in some surveys we've done, but others say it's tied, is the food. Oh, yes. And that is all of the ethnic food vendors, um, which are nonprofit organizations that use this event as a fundraiser for their organizations mm. to support their organizations. So anyone who looks up photos of the Lowell Folk Festival can usually find you leading the parade with a massive umbrella, like the second line parades in New Orleans, how did that come about, and was that your idea? No, I cannot. This is a tradition. You have a traditional folk festival. You have to have a tradition. So uh, many years ago, when Sandy Walter was the superintendent, the assistant superintendent was George Price. And I'm told that they used to walk from the train. They would ride the train from Boston mm. with the jazz band, the, the, the parade band, sorry, New Orleans parade band. Wow. Take the train up to Gallagher Terminal, and then they would lead the parade from Gallagher Terminal all the way here. And wow. the umbrella was a tradition, uh, as in New Orleans, because of the heat and the mm. sun. Um, so we adopted that. Now, we trade bands now, and every year we'll have a different band from a different cultural tradition that leads the parade, and we bring them in to do that. Mm. So, But no, I am just one. I am simply a pawn, <laughs> just one in a line of... Superintendents and deputies who have carried that umbrella in the parade. So after thinking about all the fun that you really are able to have with your job, it really did start with you making a choice to pursue this as a career. What advice do you have for people out there who are very clear about what they want to do or where they see themselves but have no idea how to get started? So the first thing um, I, I always tell my daughter, you know, is try to pick something you love. And, you know, when I when I picked the Park Service, uh, I was making about $18,000 a year wow. and living in San Francisco. Wow. Okay? Um, and my father was like, whoa, you know, like this is the end. And, you know, she's never going to make it in the world. But if you love something, it you know, I was happy. I didn't need much because mm. I just had so much fun doing what I love. I would say if you know what you want to do, talk to people. Mm. Do not be afraid. I mean, even, you know, call up CEOs, you know, yeah. find people. And that's what I did. I found people who were in the park service. I would say, you know, I'm really interested. Can I just talk to you for, you know, can I call you and just ask you some questions? And I actually found my mentors that way. Wow. Um, people were very supportive. And I think a lot of people are. They want to see, you know, new people coming in, young people coming up in the organization. So don't be afraid to, to 
ask people for help and for advice and to just, you know, take people out for coffee and mm. talk to them about it. Um, you know, make your way and sort of set your path. But the other thing I, I just want to say, you know, not everybody knows what they want to do. And I find, I think I was, I mean, there's not a lot of people in high school who know what mm. they want to do and end up, you know, you talk to them 32 years later and they're doing it. Yeah. So don't be afraid of trying things. And don't be afraid if you don't know. Because mm. life is a journey. It's mm. a long path. So um, I think the, the key I'm, I'm constantly hammering into my daughter is... Do what you love, you know, and she hasn't found it yet. She's Mm. still, you know, she's trying to think about what she wants to do. And so um, don't be afraid to try new things. I heard this really great quote from Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. And she said, basically what you're saying, that there's a lot of pressure put on young people to really figure out what their passion is. And she said, just follow your curiosity. She's like, "It's, it's low stress. It's kind of you're kind of just flowing with whatever your mind wants you to do or whatever you have questions about. And I, I think um, that's the ultimate thing is hopefully your curiosity may take you to that place maybe quickly, but it might not. And I think as long as you stay in that place of kind of seeking actively, that that's the best place to be. And do not be afraid. Yeah. Do not be afraid to try new things. Mm. And I think that that's something that, you know... I, in the park service, we move around a lot. Yeah. And uh, you don't have to. There are plenty of people in this park who came up through the ranks, but probably 50% of, of staff move around a lot. And there are people sometimes who don't want to leave their families. And sometimes that can, you know, that can be an advantage. And sometimes that can be a disadvantage. And sometimes they just don't want to leave because they're afraid. So don't mm. be don't be afraid to push yourself into it you're, where you're maybe a little uncomfortable for a while because it might pay off in, in huge dividends down the road. But, mm. but yeah, don't stress. Yes. <laughs> don't stress. And specifically when you think about National Historical Park sites and the type of people that I see are always friendly and outgoing and energetic and anyone who wants a career working for the Park Service, what's the community like here for you? The Park Service is sort of an interesting animal in that they people tend to stereotype what they think the Park Service is. You know, you're going to be a biology major and you're going to go live in the woods, right? And, and that's true. You could. But you could also be a carpenter or you could be an electrician. You could be a mechanic. You could be an architect. You could be a budget analyst, an administrative specialist. Um, mm. You know, you could be a math major. I mean, you could speak a lot of different languages. You could, it's so broad and they hire so many different types of people. And the thing that I love the most about it is that you can go through your whole life changing jobs every four years (laughs) and stay in the same organization. You can move around the country. Some places even give you housing when you move. Well, they don't give you, you have to buy, you know, you have to pay for the housing, but I mean, there is so much opportunity in the park service and we need people like we need this agency to reflect America. I mean, Mm. that is like so critical. And there are so many different histories that the park service is telling and stories to be told. And I think everyone can find their story and everyone can tell their history. And, And it's just a great organization. So I just want to encourage anyone who hasn't thought about the Park Service to definitely think about it. 
when I was a kid, uh, I loved history, and my mother said, well, you know, you could be a history teacher. And, and I just couldn't picture myself in a classroom, and I had no idea that I could have the whole world as my classroom. Mm. And so I think that um, there's so many opportunities for people in the Park Service. Celeste, I must say, I think you are, you are one of the most uplifting, encouraging people. And I think, I think you're just amazing. And I just want to say thank you again for meeting with me, talking with me. Um, Kristen, let's talk about amazing. Like, this is amazing. Okay. Yay, Kristen. (laughs) This is so much fun. This has been so much fun. And uh, I just can't wait to hear so many more of these podcasts. And I so enjoyed your first podcast. Oh, thank you. I really thought it was terrific. So you're filled with all of these experiences and experiences with your job and personally that have kind of shaped who you are. Is there any advice that you've gotten that has stuck with you maybe throughout the years? I remember there was a time when I was having a, a, a challenge, a really big challenge. And I was talking to a friend of mine who uh, now is superintendent at Yosemite. And one of the things he said to me was, Celeste, you know, someone once told him, someone once told me, um, <laughs> this too shall pass. And, you know, it sounded so trite when I heard it. I was like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) But I have to say that I have thought back on that phrase so many times when I have been in difficult situations um, where I felt like, oh, this is never going to end. Or when I was, like, pushing that, you know, that big big rock up Mm. that hill. Um, and, And it also, on a flip side... Not was not only for challenges that it's come into my head, but sometimes, and this is going to sound a little bit odd, but it's come to me when things are wonderful. Mm. I, I think this too will pass because I don't, you know, I haven't always appreciated when things were wonderful. Mm. And I think anyone out there who's lost a loved one or had hard times or gone through a difficult period in their life, you know, that makes you really realize, and I wish when I was younger, I really held on to those moments that mm. this too shall pass, so just enjoy it. Mm. So that would be my, my little bit of happiness, is mm. to, to appreciate those moments and when you're in the doldrums, they will pass. Mm. They will pass. That kind of is where choice to be happy came from. It was kind of like in those low points where you kind of can choose to kind of be just aware that something is passing. It's not going to be there for a long time. Um, And happy meaning not always, you know, smiling or being like in denial of what's happening, but just a choice to be present, not let it, you know, overtake you. So when you think about choice to be happy and maybe even from the podcast that you were able to listen to before, what does that mean to Celeste today? I think it's, it's, you have to be deliberate about your happiness. You have mm. to work on happiness. Mm. Like happiness doesn't just like, for, maybe for some people it just comes, but yeah. for me, I have to like, you know, make sure that I am purposefully doing things that are going to make me happy. Mm. And there's a whole, I mean, you know, and, and I don't have a magic formula. It's different for everyone. And yeah. it's different for me every day. You know, one day it may be, okay, so who can I send a little note to, you know, that did a good job or, you know, am I going out of my way to be positive Mm. or, 
um, you know, am I telling my little negative voice to not talk that way? And yeah. can, it, can it be a positive voice? And, you know, it's, but it's, it's conscience. It's conscience. Mm. And I think also, you know, for a lot of people, they just have to give themselves a break, especially perfectionists out yeah. there, you know, just, <laughs> you're smiling, but, um, you know, it's, it's, you're doing okay. Well, Celeste, thank you so much for today. For this interview, I really am hoping people that are listening feel encouraged and inspired, but also, you know, just that reassurance that things are going to be okay, that we need to be present and deliberate about happiness. Um, so for everyone listening out there, you can feel free to contact me, Krista Brown, at choicetobehappy at gmail.com. We also have Choice To Be Happy on Instagram and Facebook. If you have ideas for guests or anyone out there who is seeking the Choice To Be Happy lifestyle, feel free to hit me up. Thank you so much. Bye.